amen. Amen and amen and amen and amen. Hey, can you give the Lord a hand one more time? What a, listen. If you can't get excited on this weekend, you need Jesus so badly. I want to tell you right now, I am so pumped about the weekend. It is really probably along with Christmas Eve, my favorite weekend of the year. And I want to begin by welcoming all of those who are worshiping with us at our Mill Creek campus. Glad to have you join us as well as those who are watching online and those who will be watching by television. We are really honored to have you with us today. You know, publishing experts will tell you that one of the most important things, maybe the most important thing about a book is its title. Because they will tell you, and I, I write books so I know this, they will tell you that you may write a very, very clear and compelling book, and the book may be amazing. But if it doesn't have a title that will grab you, if it doesn't have a title that will make you at least pick up the book and see what's in it, the book really will be, have a hard time getting off the ground, and it may not sell very well. The truth of the matter is, they will tell you in the publishing industry, people do judge a book by its cover. And let me just tell you, I'm one of those people. Uh, I'm a voracious reader. I love to read. I've loved to read since I was a kid. But uh, I really do look at the title of a book before I decide to pick it up. And I'll tell you that for this reason. I was um, browsing in a bookstore not long ago, and there was a book on a shelf, and it had one of the most compelling titles I've ever read in my life. The title of the book was, the greatest day in history. Now, I realize that if you were to ask a hundred different people the question, what is the greatest day in history, you most likely would get a hundred different answers. And I know that. But in fact, I love the answer that one man gave to this question. Somebody, they were asking, they were taking a survey and they, they were asking people on the street, what is the greatest day in history? And I love the answer one man gave. One man said, the, the greatest day in history for me would be a tie between the day my first son was born and the day I married my fifth wife. Now, I picked up this book. I couldn't help myself. I said, I've got to see what this book is about. So I picked up this book. I was blown away by what the author said was the greatest day in history. As a matter of fact, the, the, it was actually found in the full title of the book. I had not noticed the full title. Are you ready for this? This was the full title of this book. The greatest day in history, how on the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month, the first world war finally came to an end. I was so disappointed. I said, you got to be kidding me. Of all the greatest days that's ever occurred in the history of the world, you picked November the 11th, 1918. I promise you, if you were to go out on the streets of Atlanta and say, can you tell me what happened on November the 11th, 1918, you would get two answers. I don't know and I don't care. And yet this man's written the book, said this is the greatest day in history. Now listen, I am not going to deny that any day that any war ends is a great day. I, I, I understand that. But I honestly think we can do a lot better, and I think there's a far greater choice. I personally believe, and I'm absolutely convinced, this weekend we are celebrating by far and away the greatest day in the history of the world. And by the way, billions of people around the world agree with my opinion and my assessment because it is a day that actually gave birth to the most unique religious faith in the history of mankind. I don't know if you ever thought about this or not. What, there's a lot of things that make Christianity just totally unique from every other faith in the world. But one of the things that makes a Christianity so unique compared to every other religious movement is that Christianity traces its origin, traces its very beginning 
to one particular event at one particular moment on one particular day in history. Now, that's not true of Judaism. That's not true of Islam. That is not true of Buddhism. That is not true of Hinduism. It's not even true of atheism. We're talking about one day that changed everything forever. And in case you haven't figured it out yet, I'm talking about the day we call Easter. Absolutely convinced something happened on that day, at least if you're a Christian, you believe this, something happened on that day that has never happened before and has never happened since. It literally is the most unique day in history because what happened on that day 2,000 years ago has never been replicated, never been repeated, never been duplicated. Never happened before and has never happened since. Because this is a day that if you're a Christian like I am, you believe that Jesus literally, visibly, physically, and eternally came back from the dead. Now, no doubt, if you're a Christian, you believe that. Matter of fact, you have to believe that to be a Christian. As a matter of fact, listen, you may not even be a Christian and believe that. You, you, may have, you may have never surrendered your life to Jesus. You may have never become a follower of Jesus, but you're sitting there and you're saying, well, I believe that. I mean, I believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. I've talked to, to hundreds of people in my lifetime who don't have a clue about what it means to be saved. They don't know what it means to be born again. They've never had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, but they'll look you right in there and say, oh, I believe he died on the cross and I believe he was raised from the dead. And I get that. So I'm even convinced, however, that even for many of us who are Christians, we really don't understand what a big deal Easter is. And we really don't understand what happened on that Easter Sunday. There was a teacher that was teaching a, a Bible class of little children about what happened on Easter Sunday. And so when she got through teaching her Easter lesson, she decided she'd kind of give a little quiz to see how well they paid attention. And so she said, okay, who can tell me what happened on the very first Easter? Well, one little boy raised his hand and he said, well, some soldiers put a big rock in front of this cave so Jesus couldn't get out. And she said, well, that's good. And then a little girl raised her hand and she said, well, an angel came and rolled that rock away so he could get out. Well, there was one little boy and he really hadn't paid that much attention. She knew he hadn't. And so she called on him. She said, Johnny, you know, every, every, every story you tell about a boy's name is Johnny. You ever notice that? So she said, okay, Johnny. She said, can you tell us what happened at Easter? He said, oh, Yes. He said, Jesus came out of that rock, out of that tomb on the third day, saw his shadow, went back in. They had six more weeks of winter. Now, I'm absolutely convinced that there are a lot of people, they may believe what happened at Easter, they may understand what happened at Easter, but they don't really understand why Easter is such a big deal. So I want to answer the question. This is a very unusual Easter sermon. I've never preached one like this before. I want to answer the question tonight, what really happened at Easter? I don't mean the resurrection. I get that. I mean, what was the result of Easter? What really, what really changed as a result of Jesus coming back from the grave? Yeah, we believe he, that he, he came out of that tomb in a resurrected body. But the question I want to answer tonight is, so what? How does that help my rocky marriage? How does that help my bout with alcohol? How, how does that help the battle I have in my mind with some of the thoughts that I carry in my heart? How does that even help me in my job on Monday morning? I mean, so what? 
What makes it so important? Why would you say that Easter is by far and away the greatest day in history? See, no day lasts forever, but more than any other day, this day affects all of us forever and forever. See, the moment that Jesus Christ stepped out of that tomb, he made three things possible for every one of us. I mean, all of us, whether you're a believer or not, whether you're a Christian or not, whether you believe in God or not, when Jesus Christ came out of that tomb, he made three things possible for every one of us that affects our past, it affects our present, and it affects our future. It affects our yesterday, it affects our today, and it affects our tomorrow. And those three things are found in one of the greatest chapters, in one of the greatest books of the Bible. So if you brought one of these, or you brought one of these, or you brought one of these, either way, it doesn't matter. I want you to turn to a book in the Bible called Romans. Now, you may not have ever, you may not know much about the Bible. Let me kind of help you. It's real easy. The Bible is divided up into two halves, Old Testament, New Testament. I want you to go to the New Testament. The New Testament begins with four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Two books over from there, you'll find Romans. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 8. Now, before we get into what we're going to look at tonight, let me give you a little bit of a background for those of you who may not know much about the Bible or about the book of Romans at all. The book of Romans was written by man who at one time in his life absolutely hated Christianity. He hated the church. He did not even want you to mention the name Jesus in his presence. He didn't believe anything about Jesus that you and I believe. As a matter of fact, even though he believed in God, he actually thought he'd been called by God to stop Christianity in his tracks. He thought he'd been called by God to stamp out <clears throat> and to wipe out the church. You say, well, what happened? He met this resurrected Jesus on a road called the Damascus Road. I've been on that road. He met this resurrected Jesus, and his life was forever changed. And in the eighth chapter of Romans, he's going to tell us why the greatest day in history, without question, is indeed Easter, because three things happen as a result of that day. All right, here we go. You ready? Number one, because of Easter, we are free from the penalty of sin. Because of Easter, we are free from the penalty of sin. Now, listen to Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. He says, therefore, one of the greatest verses in the Bible, therefore, there is now, can you just say that one word with me? No. no. That word no in the Greek language means not one, not any, nada, no. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, it's been well said many, many times that whenever you come to the word, therefore, always ask this question, what is that therefore, therefore, all right? All right, so what is that therefore, therefore? Well, what Paul is doing in Romans 8, he's really kind of referring to everything he's already said in the first seven chapters. And, and, and since many of you maybe missed the series we were doing in Romans, or maybe you don't know much about the book, let me just kind of catch you up and tell you what he spent seven chapters telling us. The Bible says that you can divide the world up into two races of people, not 20, not 50, not 100, not, not 500. There are basically two races of people, Jews and Gentiles. Everybody in this room, you're either a Jew or a Gentile. Most of us, maybe all of us are Gentiles. But you're either in the Bible, you're either a Jew or a Gentile. Well, Paul tells us in the first three chapters of this book, whether you're a Jew or Gentile, you got one thing in common. We're all sinners. 
Jews are sinners, Gentiles are sinners. We're all sinners. We have all fallen short of God's glory. There is a barrier that separates all of us from God. There are no exemptions. There are no exceptions. We are all sinners. And he goes on to say, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, you can't take care of your sin on your own. Religion won't do it. Baptism won't do it. Trying to do your best won't do it. You're in a mess. We're all in a mess. And you can't get yourself out of this mess. And then he tells us, that God loved us so much that he sends Jesus Christ to get us out of the mess that we made that we can't get of ourselves. Jesus came and did for us what we could not do on our own. He kept all of God's commands. He lived a perfect life so he could die a perfect death on the cross. He could pay for our sins. He could remove that one barrier that separates us from God. And then to prove that the deal was done, he raises Jesus from the dead. So in effect, for the first seven chapters, that's what he tells us. So he comes to chapter 8, verse 1, and he says, Therefore, in light of the fact that God sent Jesus to die for your sins, to pay for your sins, to tear down the wall, to give you a bridge so you could have a relationship with God, therefore, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, here's the good news. When you decide, if you've not decided, if you ever decide to surrender your life to Christ, if you ever decide, you know what, I don't believe this is Santa Claus, I don't believe this is Mickey Mouse, I believe this is the real deal, I believe Jesus was who he said he was, he did what he said he did, I really believe he did die on the cross, I really believe he came back from the grave, and I want to give my life to Jesus Christ, the scripture says at that moment an amazing thing happens. You ready? Guilt is replaced by grace. Just like that. Guilt is replaced by by grace. Now, I've never met a person with a healthy conscience. That's, this is key. I've never met a person with a healthy conscience who doesn't feel guilty about something or hasn't felt guilty about something. There's some of you in this room right now. You've done something in the past. Nobody knows about it but you. You've never shared it with anyone. Your wife doesn't know about it. Your parents don't know about it. Your brothers and sisters don't know about it. Your best friends don't know about it. You've kind of kept it a secret all these years, and yet you feel guilty about it. And, and it, you almost feel like you're, you're, you're trapped in solitary confinement. You live in a guilt trap, and you're constantly on a guilt trip. And you keep trying to get on with your life, but you cannot get on with your life because you just can't get past your past. You, you, you get up and you say, I've just got to start living in the here and now, but you can't do that because you keep living back then and you keep living back there and you just can't get over what, you're, what you've done. Paul comes along and says, have I got great news for you? When you give your life to Jesus Christ, you no longer have to define yourself by what you've done wrong. You can now define yourself by what Jesus has done right. And there's therefore now no condemnation. You no longer have to be governed by the guilt of what has been done by you. You can live in the grace of what Jesus Christ has done for you. Now, there's one thing. Let me just say this. If you're here tonight, or rather here today, I meant to say, if you're here today and you are not a believer, and I am a believer, let me just make sure you understand something. There's one thing that believers and non-believers have in common. There's one thing Christians and non-Christians have in common. We both sin. I know sometimes, you know, people don't come to church. They say, well, I don't know. I don't want to. You know, I know the church, they just kind of look down on us sinners. Can I make something real plain to you? Can I tell you why our church doesn't look down on sinners? Because we're all sinners. 
We're all in the same boat. We don't look down on anybody. We're all sinners. The difference between a believer and an unbeliever is what we are under. It's not who we are. It's what we are under. Let me explain. Every person falls into one of two categories. Everybody in this room, everybody watching on TV, everybody listening on computer right now, everybody that will see or hear this on a CD or, or, or watch it on a DVD, whenever you hear this, listen, everybody's in one of two categories. You are either in Jesus or you're out of Jesus. Either Jesus is in you or he's out of you. Now, here's the key. Where you are determines what you're under. Where you are determines what you're under. You say, what do you mean? All right, we've already seen it. If you're in Jesus, you're under no condemnation. You are under grace. If you're in Jesus, you're not under judgment. You're under mercy. And it's not because of what you've done for God. It's because of what God has done for you. So Paul goes on to say this in the next verse. He says, because through Jesus Christ, this sounds a little bit complicated, but it's really simple. He says, because through Jesus Christ, the law of the Spirit who gives life, I'll explain that in a moment, has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now, the thing I want you to understand right now is the law of sin and death. Because I know some of you are saying, I don't know, what is the law of sin and death? Well, we were all born under the law of sin and death. And the law of sin and death is real simple. I'll, I'll just throw it up on the screen and you'll remember this. Here's the law of sin and death. If you sin, you die. Now, it's real easy, right? Can you say that out loud? If you sin, you die. All right, so why does everybody die? Can somebody tell me? Everybody sin, right? If you sin, you die. We all sin. You know, I was reading the other day, they say the number one cause of, the, med the medical profession says the number one cause of death in America is heart disease. They say the second greatest cause of death in America is cancer. Now, with all respect to the medical profession, that really isn't true. The number one cause of all death is sin. Sin causes everybody to die. Sin causes all death. As a matter of fact, earlier Paul wrote these words. He said, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Jew, Gentile, doesn't matter. Go to church, don't go to church. Believe in God, don't believe God, doesn't matter. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Then he goes on to add this. He says, the wages of sin is death. He said, if you sin, you are going to die. Here's the law of sin and death. We sin, we die. We sin, we die. We die because we sin. Death follows sin just as surely as night follows day. But Paul said, we've been freed from the law of sin and death. We're no longer under that law. You say, wait a minute. How did that happen? Keep reading. For what the law, that is the law of God, was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law, that is the perfect obedience to the law, might be fully met. Now this is amazing in us. What? You, you just said we're all sinners. We are. What is a sinner? Someone that's broken God's law. We've all broken God's law. And yet he says, because of Jesus, because of Jesus, the requirements of the law have been met in us. Met in us. I mean, it, it, it really is an amazing thing. Listen, 
How does that work? Who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, I know that's kind of deep. Let me just make it real simple. Here's what Paul was saying. Paul was simply saying that these verses tell every one of us in this room, every one of us listening right now, we cannot be right with God. We cannot take care of our sin problem by keeping the law. Why? Because you can't keep the law. Because there's only one way God wants you to keep the law. Perfectly. You, if, if, you, if you keep nine out of ten commandments, guess what, guess what God gives you on your paper? Zero. God's a perfect God. God requires perfect obedience. His passing grade is 100. So if you break one law, James says you've broken every law that there is. So we cannot keep the law. Nobody's perfect. And in God's eyes, anything short of perfect obedience is total disobedience. So here's what Jesus did. Jesus came to you and me, and he said, you can't keep the law, can you? No, you can't. I can't, Lord. As a matter of fact, Jesus could say to all of us right now, tell you what, I'll make a deal with you. I'm just going to forget everything you've ever done wrong, and I'm going to let you earn your way to heaven. Here's all you've got to do for the rest of your life. Don't mess up ever again. We just messed up because we know we can't do it. So Jesus said, you know what? I did for you what you cannot do for yourself. He kept the law perfectly. He crossed every T. He dotted every I. Because of his perfect life, he could die a perfect death and pay the penalty for all of our sins. Now, why is that such a big deal? I always wanted to be a lawyer. You know, before God called me to preach, I wanted to be a lawyer. I've told you that many times. Well, I, I, law fascinates me. And I know all of you, you don't have to know the law to know this. You know, there's a law that we have in this country, and it's called the law of double jeopardy. How many of you know what that law is? You know what the law, okay, you know what it is, right? You can't be tried for what? A crime how many times? Can't be tried twice. If you're ever found innocent, doesn't matter whether you, you may have been guilty. It may be because you had a bad prosecutor. It may be because you got off on a technicality. It doesn't matter. If you're ever found innocent of a crime, you can never be tried for the same crime again. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he was condemned. He was sentenced. He was put to death for our sin. And he rose from the dead to prove that God accepted his payment. That's why there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And see, this has no limit on time, on scope, or cost. Listen, God's bank of grace is never closed because of insufficient funds. God's grace never runs out. See, here's the way it works. This is so great. The moment you give your life to Christ, the moment we come to Jesus, the moment we get into Jesus and Jesus gets into us, this unbelievable transaction takes place. Here's what happens. When I gave my life to Christ as a nine-year-old boy, you know what God did for me? God took every sin I'd ever done, every sin I will do, and every sin I'll ever do until I die. God took all of my sins, and he transferred all of my sins to the account of Jesus, and Jesus paid my account in full. Oh, but it's better. Then there was a second transaction. All of the righteousness of Jesus was credited to, to my account. And then it gets better than that. God took all of my sins, put them all on Jesus. God took all of his righteousness and gave it to me. And then God said, let's call it even. I vote for that. Let's call it even. And you see, because of Easter, we're free from the penalty of sin. Now, I've not told most of us anything you haven't heard a hundred, two hundred, three hundred times. I get it. But too often, that's where we leave things. That's where we leave the cross. That's where we leave Easter. But Paul says, oh, no, no, we're not done. 
He goes on to tell us, because of Easter, we are free from the power of sin. Not just the penalty of sin, we're free from the power of sin. Listen, how many times, how many of you would say you've heard this, heard this said one time? Just hold your hand up if you've heard this. At least one time you've heard somebody say, Jesus died for your sins. How many of you have heard that? Just one time. All right, unanimous vote. We've all heard that at least once. Jesus died for our sins. Okay, we just established that his death took care of our past. We're free from the penalty of sin. Here's what I want you to understand about Easter. Jesus didn't just die on a cross to free us from the penalty of sin. Why do you think he came back from the grave? To give us the power to overcome sin itself. He didn't just die to free us from the penalty of sin. He came back from the grave to free us from the power of sin. He didn't just die so we could escape the penalty of doing wrong. He came back from the grave to give us the power to do what's right. Listen again to these verses. Go back and we'll look in verse 3. So he condemned sin in the flesh in order that, now listen to what he says, the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now there's a word here that's very important, and it's that little word, in. Paul did not say that the requirement of the law is fulfilled by us because we've already said we haven't fulfilled it and we can't. He said that the requirement of the law was fully met in us. Now, what does that mean? When Jesus, when we come to Jesus, Jesus comes into us and he now lives his life in us and through us. And this is why I want to help some of you this t- today. It's so frustrating when I witness to people and they'll understand the gospel. And I'll ask them, would you like to give your life to Christ? Would you like to, you know, to, to, to give your heart to the Lord? And they'll say this, oh, I just could never live up to that. I, I just could never live the Christian life. You may be here today, and that may be what you've said. And you, you say, you know what, I, I, I wish I could do it, but I tell you, I know me. I, I know my faults. I know my flaws. I know my failures. I'm just telling you right now, there's no way I could ever live the Christian life. Can I just give you a word of encouragement right now? You can't. You're right. Nobody can. There's only one human being who's ever lived the Christian life, and that's Jesus. Nobody has ever lived the Christian life except Jesus. The Christian life is not our living for Jesus. It is Jesus living in us. I mean, have you ever thought about the word Christian? Just think about the word Christian. The word Christian is a combination of actually two words, right? It's the combination of Christ plus what? In. What what is a Christian? When you give your life to Christ, he comes and lives in you and through you so you can live for him. But that raises another question. How does Jesus come and live in me? Well, he does it through the Holy Spirit. Now, if you go back to verse 4 and you read the next eight verses, you'll find something. The Holy Spirit is mentioned nine times. Nine times he talks about the Holy Spirit. Why does he do that? Because what we also don't realize many times is the entire Trinity, I mean the entire Trinity is involved in your life as a Christian. Here's how it works. God the Father sent God the Son to free us from the penalty of sin. Then God the Son sent God the Spirit to free us from the power of sin. 
God sent Jesus because he knew we could not obey his commandments. Then he sent his spirit so we could obey his commandments. And if we are true followers of Jesus, let me tell you this. If we're really true followers of Jesus, that means the spirit of God lives in us. If we're really true followers of Jesus, we ought to live differently. We ought to walk differently. We ought to talk differently. We ought to act differently. We ought to think differently. You know why? Because we're different. There is something different about us. We have something unbelievers don't have. We have the Spirit of God living in us. If if you're a normal person, let me just say this. If you're a normal person, you want to be the best you can be. If you're normal, you want to be the best you can be. You, you want to, if you're a father, you want to be the best father you can be. If you're a husband, you want to be the best husband, the best wife, the best mother, the best son, the best daughter, the best human being, the best person, the best worker. You want to be absolutely the best person you can be. I've got news for you. The best you can be is the you that God wants you to be. Did you hear me? The best that you can be is the you that God wants you to be, but you can never be what God the Father wants you to be without God the Son. And you can never be what God the Son wants you to son, God the Son wants you to be without God the Spirit. You know, some people think, man, we really need Easter before we die. I got news for you. We don't need Easter just to be ready to die. We need Easter to be ready to live. You're not even ready to live until you've got the risen Christ living in you. See, because of Easter, Jesus hasn't just taken care of our past by freeing us from the penalty of sin. He's also taken care of our present by freeing us from the power of sin. Now, some of you may have not heard, have heard that, or maybe you have. But then Paul would say, oh, but we're not done yet. Remember, it's the greatest day in history. And remember, we said it affects your past. Well, how did it affect my past? Don't have to worry about the penalty of sin anymore. There's no condemnation if I'm in Jesus. I don't have to worry about my present anymore. I know I can live the Christian life because Jesus is going to live it through me by the power of his Holy Spirit. So he takes care of the present. But what about the future, Paul says? Because of Easter, we will be free from the presence of sin. Now listen carefully. Take any day you want to take in the history of the world, any day you want to just pick one out of the blue. Every day has one thing in common. It's just a day. And it only lasts 24 hours. And yet I'm telling you today that this day was different because this is the one day that affects all of us forever. No other day. Think about this. The day that you die, take any other day except this day. The day that you die, no other day in history will have any effect on you whatsoever. The day that you die, it won't matter what day World War, World War I ended. It won't matter what day World War II ended. It won't matter what day the Civil War ended. It won't matter what day Napoleon was born. It won't matter what day George Washington was elected as president. It doesn't matter. When, when you're dead, no other day matters at all. But this day... And what you do with this day will affect you for all of eternity. You'll never get over what you do or don't do with this day. Because this day, Easter Sunday, isn't just about the past. It isn't just about the present. It is about the future. You say, why is that true? Because there's one thing I know that's true of all of us who are listening right now, and all of us in this room, and those who are watching by computer and TV, I know one thing's true about all of us. We all have the same future. 
we're all going to die. Everybody's going to die. I mean, we all have unanimously voted for death. You say, well, what does Easter have to do with this? Well, now Paul makes a very crucial statement. Listen to what he says in verse 9. He says, you, however, he's talking to those of us who have given our lives to Christ. He's talking to believers. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh. That's where people without Jesus are. You are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. Now, watch this. He said, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. That's a powerful statement. Paul said, you can be a member of a hundred churches. You can be baptized till your underwear is waterlogged. You can carry 14 Bibles to work. You can pray, you can sing, you can do anything else you want to do. But if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not a part of the family of God. The one mark, the one mark, the number one mark that you know God, the number one mark that you are a true believer, the number one mark that you're under grace and not under guilt, the number one mark that you're under no condemnation is this, the Holy Spirit lives in you. That's the number one mark. The Holy Spirit lives in you. Well, that raises a question. How do you know that the Holy Spirit lives in you? How are we supposed to know that? Well, again, it goes back to what we just read in these prior verses. If the Holy Spirit lives in us, you know what that means? We will think differently. We will act differently. We'll walk differently. We'll talk differently. We will live differently because we are different, not because of what we do on the outside, but because of who lives in us on the inside. When we move into Jesus, the Holy Spirit moves into us. And let me give you some good news. He doesn't just come to stay a while. He doesn't come to rent out a room. He doesn't come for a vacation. He comes to permanently live in us. See, here's the deal. If you're like me and, and, you're, and you're a believer and you know you're a believer, then you know this is true. We still sin. We still blow it sometimes. We still don't hit on all eight cylinders. I don't. I know you don't. Here's the good news. We may not always go where the Holy Spirit wants us to go. But wherever we go, we always take the Holy Spirit with us. Always. 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 We always take the Holy Spirit with us. Always. See, and what Paul is saying is the Holy Spirit's not just given for our life. He was given for our death because, because of Easter, Paul says death's not a wall that you run into. It's a bridge you cross over. So he goes on to say this in verse 10. <clears throat> but if Christ is in you, that is through the Holy Spirit, if Christ is in you, now watch this, even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. Now, what did Paul mean by that? Well, it's real simple. Go back to the moment that you were born. I know you don't remember that exact moment, but go back to the moment that you were born. You didn't realize it then as a baby, but I want to kind of catch you up on something. The moment you were born... You started doing two things at the same time. You started living and you started dying. Same time. The moment you were born, you started living, you started dying. Uh, you know anybody that's dying? You say, well, yeah, I, I've got my aunt. She's in the hospital. She's dying. No, no, no. 
do you know anybody that's dying? We'll say, yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, I got news for you. Everybody you know is dying. Just look at the person sitting next to you. Now, if you want to make their Easter, look at them and just say, you're dying. Because they are. Everybody you know is dying, including you. The first breath you take is actually one of the last that you'll ever take. And here's what Paul says. He says, look, even though we know our body is going to die, even though we know that, our spirit has been made eternally alive through God's Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus said, don't, feel the, don't, don't ever fear the person that can kill the body. He said, you fear the one that can kill both body and soul. See, if you're a Christian, let me, let me tell you this. Every Christian that was blown apart in Brussels, Belgium last, this week, every single Christian that was in that airport or in that subway station, every single Christian, their body died, they didn't die. Their body died, they didn't die. You say, well, I, I don't understand that. Well, let me tell you why. Remember what we said kills everybody? He said, yeah, well, sin. Well, where does sin operate? Sin operates in the body. Sin's going to kill my body, but it cannot touch the Holy Spirit that lives in my human spirit. But Paul says it gets better than that. Because of Easter, death can only temporarily kill even the body. Look what he says in verse 11. He said, and if the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Now, what does that mean? Paul said, suicide bombers and murdering terrorists and exploding vests, not to mention cancer, diabetes, and heart attacks, death does not have the final say over the body of a Christian. Easter has the final say. And what Paul is saying is the picture of Jesus coming out of that tomb will one day be our picture of coming up out of our grave. We're going to experience resurrection just as Jesus did. We weren't talking about resuscitation. We're not talking about refurbishing. We're not talking about refinishing. We're not talking about remodeling. We're not even talking about an upgrade. We're talking about a resurrection where just like Jesus, we're going to get a brand new body that will not only be permanently free from the power of death, permanently free from the presence of sin. And see, that's why every day really comes down to this day. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you why the whole ball game comes down to Easter. If, if Jesus is still dead, if Jesus is still dead, game over, death wins. But if Jesus Christ came out of that tomb and he's still alive, game's not over, it's game on and death loses. And what I want to say to all of us who are believers today is this. We need to live as if we believe that's true because it is. Because, see, here's the truth. If you're, if you're, if you're a, a Christian, if you're a believer, if you know the Lord, let me, let me kind of disabuse you of something that, that you fall into once a year. For the Christian, Easter is not something we celebrate one day a year. 
Easter is something we celebrate every day of the year in every way. Because the risen Lord lives in us 365, 24-7, and makes a difference every day of our life. Because Easter tells me my forever is taken care of forever. My Easter tells me, my risen Lord tells me, you know what, James? You're not a captive to your past, and you're not a loser in your present. And you don't have to be fearful of the future. Because I came back from the grave, I took care of all of those things. So I close with this. Here's my question. Here's the question I've really kind of been working toward in trying to help you and really relate Easter to you. This is the question I want to ask every one of you right now, one-on-one. Pretend nobody's in the room, just me and you. We're just having a one-on-one conversation. This is my question to you. What are you going to do today about this day? What are you going to do today about this day? June the 6th, 1994, was the 50th anniversary of D-Day when the Allies invaded Normandy, which ultimately led to the defeat of Germany in World War II. Those of us who are alive, you may remember that when they, 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 they kind of spent all day on all the major networks talking about that day, and all the major networks ran the special anniversary programs where they, they would interview some of the veterans who were there. I don't know if you saw this or not. But I was watching one of the programs that they were paired, and, and they paired two contrasting views back to back. The first interview was with a Marine. He landed on Omaha Beach. When he talked about what he saw and experienced, if you've ever saw Saving Private Ryan, which I did, it was, it was like a rerun of Saving Private Ryan. He said, as he looked around at the men who were dying and the blood that was flowing, he thought to himself, we're going to lose. Right after they interviewed that Marine, the next interview was with this U.S. Army Air Corps pilot. He he was flying over the entire battle area. He said he saw the carnage on the beaches. He saw the sacrifice on the hills. But he said he also saw the Marines advancing and the paratroops landing and the fortresses collapsing. And he thought to himself, we're going to win. Two perspectives. One man on the beach, we're going to lose. One man in a plane said, we're going to win. If you get on the internet and you read the newspapers and you listen to the news and you see the political situation and the racial unrest and terrorism on the march and suicide bombers and war in the streets and war in the deserts, You're tempted to think, we're going to lose. But there was a day 2,000 years ago when a stone was rolled away and a tomb was emptied and a night of death turned into a morning of resurrection. And a risen Lord walked out of that tomb and he looked around And he looked down the corridor of time, 2,000 years, all the way to where we're sitting right now. And he said to every one of his followers, we're going to win. We're going to win. The empty tomb tells us we are going to win. And if we know the risen Lord, if we have Christ in our heart, if the Spirit of God lives in us, if we know what Easter is all about, we're going to win because of Easter, the greatest day in history.
Let's pray together.